Good to see everybody this morning, and uh, praise the Lord for the weather, huh? Yeah. I, know the, I know the rains have been tough on some parts of the city, but man, I just, rain brings life, you know, and uh, it's just good that we need the rain, so the Lord's been blessing us, and uh, it's been good, so um, I'm tired of seeing the reports about how bad Lake Mead's going down, so we need rain, <laughs> so it's a true, it's a true problem. And so we, the Lord's blessing us, so let's not complain about it. Let's, let's praise the Lord for it. And it's in the 90s. I mean, come on, people. I mean, come on. That's pretty amazing. We, have, uh, we had 10 college students from across the country that work with our organization this summer, and their last day was Friday. And I, I said, you know you live in Las Vegas when you're pumped up about 97. So uh, it's, a, it's a good day to be outside when it's 97. So... Well, it's good to see you. I, I met many of you last week. If, um, if I didn't, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. But, um, so I, uh, my name is Josh, and uh, I'm not 12 years old. I look like I'm 12. Um, I have a baby face and all that. But um, my wife and I uh, moved to Vegas about a year and a half ago. We lived in Vegas almost a decade ago, um, about nine years ago, um, before we moved to Portland, Oregon, and planted a church in Portland. And then um, we transitioned um, a year and a half ago, and I worked for an organization called the SEND Network, um, and um, what we do is we just help churches catalyze church planning. So we, we help churches start new churches. And how many of you know we need more churches in the valley? If you didn't know that, we do. Um, and, uh, and so we've got to plant churches. And what I always say is in the Bible, you never see a, you're not going to see a, a call to plant a church, but you do see a call to make disciples. And if we're making disciples that are making disciples, then the result of that is planting churches. And so part of my role and job is to help churches identify how they're making disciples and uh, making sure that we're doing that and, and calling people to the Great Commission and, and hopefully see more churches planted in our city. And uh, the hope of the world is the body of Christ. It's Christ in us. And now, I was born and raised in Tennessee, and when you read the scriptures in the New Testament, just so you know, this is not my sermon, by the way, this is extra. Uh, but when you read the New Testament, it's not written to an individual. It's written to a body. And many times as Americans, we look at the scripture as... Um, as individuals, because we're Americans, and we love individualism. Um, But the scriptures are written to a a people, a body. It's why the the book of Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. The the book of Ephesians was written to the church at Ephesus, right? It's to a people. So we've got to read it like that. And so when the scripture says Christ in you is the hope of glory, that you is a plural in the Greek. So in my growing up in Tennessee, we, the the, the plural for you is, anybody know? Y'all. Right? So it's, it's Christ in y'all. The church is the hope of glory. And the way the kingdom, the, the way the kingdom comes to our city, the, Jesus prayed our king, his kingdom, God's kingdom come on where? Earth, right? As it is in heaven. So Christian life is not about just doing our best to get somewhere. It's not a destination. It's really a relationship with God where the kingdom of God is coming on earth. So the kingdom of God is experienced in our city. And the way that the kingdom of God is experienced in our city is through the church through the body of Christ. So the body of Christ has to grow. It has to expand um, because that's how the kingdom of God is experienced in our city and that will bring renewal and redemption to our city. And um, so I'm passionate about it, as you can tell. And um, again, that wasn't in my sermon. I just get passionate about that um, because that is the mission of God. And that's why you live, is to be a part of a body, um, making much of Jesus and expanding his kingdom through the body of Christ. And so 
So I'm excited to be a part of the local church and be here this morning and preach um, to the local church here in Las Vegas. And I love your pastor, Pastor John, such a, just a humble man. Um, I got to meet him uh, back when I first got here, and um, he's just, it's been a joy to get to know him. And um, hey, how about we give it up to, to Ryan? So Pastor Ryan, I, um, I, I want to honor that guy. I know what it's like to do this every single week. <laughs> and, uh, and so just to do it with a smile on his face and I'm sure up early and with a team of people. And, you know, we don't do a good job of honoring very well, but the Bible, there's one thing the Bible says we should compete with each other for. You know what it is? Honor. It says we ought to outdo each other in honor. So we ought to, like, compete to do, outdo each other in honor. And so we ought to do a little better job of honoring one another. Um, and, uh, and so I just want to honor my guy, Ryan. Oh, I just met Ryan last week, but I've been watching, observing. And, um, and I just see a guy who's being a servant leader, giving his life to the local body, and, um, and he ought to be honored. So come on, let's give it up one more time to Ryan. Ryan, we honor you, bro, and uh, honored to know you, brother. Well, hey, um, if you open your Bibles to Psalm 30, Psalm 30, um, we're going to jump right back into our Psalm series. And I, did a, I, I made a mistake last week. Um, I'm not going to say I did this on purpose, but I didn't. Um, I, I, I did th- Psalm 31 last week, and uh, I was at Starbucks. Come on, thank, thank the Lord for Starbucks. And uh, there we go. And I was at Starbucks last week going over my sermon, and I was like, you know what, was it Psalm 30? So I looked back, and I was like, oh, no, it was supposed to be Psalm 30. So we're going back this week. So um, I could have lied to you and tell you how I worked it together, but it's not spiritual at all. It's just I made a mistake. So, um, so we're going to do Psalm 30 today, and I'm excited about it. Um, and if, if you don't know about if this is your first time here, um, or you haven't been in the Psalms, or you don't understand about the Psalms, um, how they're written, you need to understand when you read the book of Psalms, they're not written in any kind of chronological order. So they're not laid out in any chronological order. So Psalm 2 didn't come after necessarily after Psalm 1, or Psalm 31 didn't come after necessarily after Psalm 30, okay? However, you do see some common themes when you read the Psalms. And there's really three types of Psalms um, when you read them. There's the, the Psalm of Praise, which is, I like to think of, it's, it's, it's the writers writing in a, in a season of of, of, of well-being, a season of life of well-being. He's, he's a psalm of praise. A psalm of lament is the second way in which a psalm is written. Um, and that's when a writer seems to be living in a season of struggle, um, of distress. Um, and then lastly, a psalm of thanksgiving. And that's when the writer seems to have a renewed spirit of praise on the backside of a distress. So the writer's looking back to a time of, of struggle, of lament. And uh, if you know anything about life, um, I've learned in life that you're either um, in a struggle, coming out of a struggle, or you're going to go into a struggle. Are you with me? Come on, right? It seems like life's never really static, right? It's, it's a journey, and we're either in a struggle, coming out of a struggle, or we're probably going to go into or experience another struggle, and, and that's just reality. But the one thing, as life continues to change and shift in our lives, the one thing that never changes is the faithfulness of God. Amen. Come on, Mission Church, amen? That never changes, that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon uh, our current circumstances. And some of the greatest moments in my life, when God seems to do some of the most amazing works in my life, are not necessarily in the good days. They're actually in the struggles, um, where God meets me in the middle of my struggle. And I often say that God unleashes his power in everyday people's lives when they find themselves in the middle, in the middle. So this is a psalm of thanksgiving of David reflecting back on how God met him in the middle. Psalm 30, verse 1. If you'll stand with me, just out of honor of the reading of God's word. 
Psalm 30, verse 1, the word of the Lord says this, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared from me among those going down to the pit. Sing to Yahweh, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment. I love this. But his favor, a what? A lifetime. Weeping may spend the night, and there is joy in the morning. That deserves an amen. Amen? Joy in the morning. Lord, when you showed your favor... I'm sorry, verse 6. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from the Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing and you removed my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that. And here's why God did it in his life. So that I could sing to you and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. You can have a seat. I want to bring a word to you today that I've entitled Courage, Courage in the Middle. Courage in the Middle. Let me, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this word. We honor you. We thank you for the truth we thank you for that your word is a living word. It's not a history book. It's a living word. And Lord, you wrote this through David. Lord, you spoke this into existence. We believe it's the truth that we need for our life today. That this is an ordained moment where we're opening your scriptures and you're speaking to us. And so God, I pray that we'd hear from you, not hear from me, but hear from you. And God, would you translate everything that you once said into every single person's life today. So that they may walk in the middle and have courage in the middle. As David reflects on his life, Lord, that we would reflect on our lives and realize that you are a faithful God, that joy comes in the morning, that in you we can stand strong like a mountain, and Lord, you hear our cries in the middle and give us courage. And so help us to realize that this morning, to be encouraged by that, to be built up in that this morning. And if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you, first and foremost, God, I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning. That, Lord, they would turn their eyes to you, cry out to you, and you would become the King and Lord and Savior of their life. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. So when David wrote uh, Psalm 30, um, he, again, is in deep reflection. He's, he, he seems to be praising God um, for how God had rescued him in a very difficult uh, season of his life. And um, he thanks God specifically for a particular instance, but... It's also true that David is also reflecting on his entire life, that God was faithful throughout his entire life. Um, and he, he, in fact, he says in verse 2, Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you what? You healed me. Now we don't know if, if David, if this is um, figurative or, or literal necessarily, but David um, does this on purpose, I believe. And I believe David does this on purpose because um, this particular psalm is meant to inspire um, not just himself, but to inspire us, to, spy, to, to inspire the readers to worship him. And that's why in, in verses 1 through 3, he says, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up. And then 4 and 5, he jumps from 
himself saying, Lord, you have lifted me up, to now calling us to sing praises. He says, he says so, so as I reflect on God's faithfulness, he calls the church, he calls the people of God, if you will, um, today, calling the church today to, to sing to Yahweh, you faithful ones, and praise his holy name. You know, this is a psalm of thanksgiving for God rescuing his people um, to encourage us that God is a rescuing God. In verse 6 through 10, David reflects back on the time when he felt most in need. He's thinking about, as, he, as he's writing this, he's thinking about when he cried out to God for help. When he cried out to God for help. And I, as I was reading this this week, I, I, I started to think about maybe that's where you're at this morning, you know? Maybe you're at a season of your life where you're crying out to God. You find yourself in the middle of a struggle and you're crying for help. Anyone been there before? Where you're just in desperate need for God to come through. Um, and David says it's when he cried for help that God heard him, that God is faithful to hear our cries for help. That's a word, Mission Church, that God hears our cries for help, and he meets us in our need. And here is the result of God meeting him in his need, verses 11, and this is 11 and 12. This is where I want to land today. He says, you turned my lament into dancing, and you removed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. So that. Whenever you're reading the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, and you get to a part of scripture, and you get to these two words, so that. It's one word in the Greek language, in the New Testament. So that. Whenever you see so that, you need to stop what you're doing, and you need to remind yourself of what was just written. Because what was just written, or what was just said, here's the reason what was just said has happened. Okay? Very important. We just read over that many times. And so when you see the so that, when you're reading the scriptures, you need to stop what you're doing, reflect back on what was just said, because the writer, God is, a, God is about to just tell you why he did what he did. Okay? So why did God meet David in the middle? Why did God rescue David? Why did, why did God turn David's lament into dancing and remove his sackcloth, and clothed him with gladness. Why did God do that? So that he could sing to who? God, right? And not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. God met David in the middle of his struggle. God met David and healed him. Not so, listen, not so that David could just get out of the struggle. You with me? It was so that David would know God. And praise him for his faithfulness in the midst of his struggle. God, he says, you showed up. And when I cried to you in the middle of my situation, you gave me courage. And now I see how you used it in my life. And because now I can see how you've used that in my life, in that season of lament in my life, I'm, it's turned to dancing. You ever heard the saying, it's God takes lemon and turns it into lemonade, right? Right? God turns it into dancing. God can do that. Did you know that? God can do that in your situation. God can do that with what you're dealing with right now. God can do that with that bad doctor report. God can do that with that wayward child. God can do that with the loss of a job. God can do that in the middle of a pandemic. God can do that. If you get nothing else today, would you believe that God can do that? 
If you just walk, listen, if you get nothing from, listen, nothing the rest of the time today, can you just walk out of here and praise God that he can actually turn your struggle into dancing? He can actually bring gladness in the midst of what seems like fear and struggle. God can do that. He can take a hopeless situation and give you hope. He can take a a season in your life where you have no courage and give you courage. And can I just tell you from what David's reflecting on, it's not when he was, listen, it's not the fact that God got him through it and gave him courage on the backside. It's the fact that God met him in the middle when he cried out to God. And God healed him, he saved him, and gave him courage in the middle to press forward. One of my um, favorite books of the Bible is where we see God unleashing his power and give courage in the midst of a very difficult situation is um, the story in the book of Joshua. Now, it's the greatest book of the Bible because it's the greatest name. Um, you'll get that later. Um, but I love this book. In fact, if you've never read, if you've never read the story of Joshua, the book of Joshua, um, chapters 1 through 10 is where I would really encourage you to read. Um, 1 through 10, just the storyline of, of what God does in his people's lives in, in Joshua, uh, chapters 1 through 10. But it's an amazing to see how God meet his uh, people in the midst of very difficult situations when they're crying out to him and, get, and they, he gives them courage. When you read chapters 1 through 10, um, it's around chapter 6 or 7. I don't have time to read the whole thing this morning, so I'm trying to give you some understanding of it if you've never read it. Around 6 or 7, the story takes a very um, interesting turn. It takes a very sad turn, actually. Um, and in chapter 6, you'll find this famous story of Jericho. Anybody know the story of Jericho? Um, so, you know, we, maybe, maybe the kids are marching around a wall this morning. You know, you do that in kids' ministry or something, right? We should do that in, like, adult church, you know? Um, but they, they, God tells his people to march around the walls, right, of Jericho for how many days? Seven. For seven days, right? To march around seven days on the seventh day to shout, right? And the walls of Jericho would fall, and, and it looks like a daunting task. It looks like this, the, we're going to die. Right? But God gave them courage to trust him and do it. And so they walk around the walls, they shout, the trumpet blows, and the walls fall. But when Jericho fell, since it was the first city that God would take his people as he was moving them to the promised land, um, into the promised land, when Jericho fell, um, God told, if you know the story, God told his people not to take any of the leftover riches. Anything left over in the city, the articles, to take none of it with them. Right? Now, why would God do that? Well, the reason why God was doing it is because God was teaching his people that everything that they had, every victory that they would experience in the midst of struggle, um, all came from him. He was growing their dependency on him. And so the reason why he told them not to take anything was the first should come to, to me. It's the reason why um, in the church, um, we're gonna, you might leave when I start talking about money, but this is the way it goes. Y'all know Jesus talked as much about money as anything, right? The reason why is because in the church, we think of like tithing and giving money as something that, we're give, that we have to out of, out of um, burden. Um, the reason why tithing, especially in the Old Testament, was there um, is because it's teaching us that nothing we have comes from us. Um, it's why when I was pastoring a church um, in one of the most difficult cities in America, um, just watch the news, um, we would actually still pass the basket. And the reason I did it is because every week I wanted to remind our people 
that even if you gave nothing, when that basket got in front of your face, you, it made you realize that nothing you have is yours. It just makes you think that you have what you have because God's that good. And God allows you to have that. And God is the supplier of all your needs. And, 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 if, you, and if, you're, if you think the Christian life is about doing something for God, you're going to miss the Christian life. The Christian life is about dependency and knowing God. It's about, it's about walking with God. It's, it's about knowing God today and how, 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 you can, how God can turn your sadness and hard times into gladness because He's faithful, not because you're faithful, right? Because He is gracious and merciful and good. And, and so um, the reason why uh, God did this and said don't take anything, it wasn't because God wasn't want to give you good things. It's because He knows we'll rely on those things outside of Him. And so he's teaching them about dependency. But there's this one man, there's this one man in this story named Achan. And um, he doesn't get the memo. So he knows he's not supposed to take the articles, but Achan actually takes um, and steals some of the leftover riches from Jericho and he hides them for his family. And in the next, very next battle, the story goes, the very next battle, they actually lose. A, very, a much smaller city, they actually lose the, 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 the battle of Ai, a much smaller city. And God does this to teach them <laughs> the lesson of, of diso- what happens in disobedience. I'll talk about this in a moment, but um, God still does discipline his children just for a different reason. And I'll talk about that in a second. But, um, but there's, there's disobedience, and so there's discipline that comes, and um, they end up losing this battle. And so word gets back to Joshua that they lose this smaller city. He didn't even send a lot of his troops. He sent, the Bible says he sends a lot smaller group of people and they lose the battle, and they come back and say, we lost. And Joshua gets, I mean, he's, he's distraught. And so he goes to God and asks God why, and God tells him there's sin in the camp. That someone has stolen what they, that they think they weren't supposed to steal. And so Joshua and the leaders of Israel get the leaders, uh, get the people of Israel together, and Achan is found out. And if you know the story, Achan ends up um, being stoned, including his whole family. Um, and I don't mean the green stuff, I mean the, the rock stuff. Um, you'll get that at lunch, too. Um, and, and he, he gets stoned, and he dies, and it's like the, it's the saddest story, and here's why I tell you all that, <laughs> okay? It's because when you find yourself in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a difficult situation, it's so important to depend on God, because here, here's, here's, here's what, here's what we get to know. When we think of Achan, we, we look at Achan, we say, how could you do that? But when you have a need or you have a struggle, our natural tendency is to depend on ourselves. I actually show a lot of grace and mercy for a guy like Achan. Because I'm thinking to myself, his family's hungry. His family has need. Maybe he's like me, got four kids. Things are expensive. I mean, these people weren't living in comfortable <laughs> comfortable hotel rooms or housing. They were in the wilderness. They were experiencing difficult days, I'm sure, poor. God was providing for them, yes, but maybe for a moment, Achan thinks, hey, I'll just take a couple of these things, hide them, and hey, it's okay because God knows I'm doing it for the right reasons. And so maybe that's what Achan's thinking, but it didn't matter because God said don't take it, to depend on him fully. And Achan didn't trust God in the middle. He didn't have the courage to stand in the middle. And so here's the big idea. The big idea is that the level of our courage in the unknowns of my life 
is always based on the object of my dependence. The level of our courage in the unknowns of my life is based on the object of our dependence. When, when our dependence is upon God who is faithful, God gives me courage to trust Him in the middle. It gives me courage to know that God can turn my struggle into dancing. That Listen, it's why David could say, it's why, listen, it's why David could say, joy comes in the morning. Like, I might not experience it right now, but joy comes in the morning. Because my God's faithful, my God can meet me, my God can heal, my God can do it. That's what gave the, the children of Israel courage to walk around the walls. My God can do it. Don't take any articles, don't take anything, depend on God. Why? Because God had been providing manna for them. God had been providing what they needed. To have courage to stand in the middle. That's why in, in Psalm 30, verse 7, David writes, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me what? Stand strong like a mountain. No matter what I was going through, when you were showing me favor, I was standing strong like a mountain. But when you hid your face, what do you say? I was terrified. If you missed last week, maybe you can go back and listen to that um, sermon. But I talked about the favor of God. And that there's, there's, there is a blessing of obedience. Obedience is not a bad word. <laughs> that we're not talking justification as a Christian in the New Testament. We're, we're, we can have a relationship with God because Jesus is just that good. We're not talking justification, but we are talking about sanctification, right? That, that just as a loving father with my son, it doesn't mean, listen, I want to give my son good things, but he has choices to make too. And, and he can miss my best for his life, but it doesn't change the fact that he's my son. Right? You can miss God's best for your life. He says, when you hid your face, I was terrified. We should be terrified. <laughs> it's why David gets terrified. I mean, Joshua gets terrified when they lose AI. Because when your face was shining on me, when you were showing me favor upon me, he's like, man, I stand strong like a mountain because my God, we will, in my God we will prevail. But when I don't have your favor, when I'm walking in my own ways, he says, I'm terrified. Throughout the book of Joshua, God uses this phrase, um, be strong and, anybody know? Courageous. Be strong and courageous. The phrase be strong and courageous um, is used over 70 times. Strong and courageous or do not be afraid or discouraged. These, kind of, these phrases are used over 70 times in the Old Testament. It's usually used in a context of war. And it's always used as a coming from God for encouragement and courage in someone's life in the middle of their storm. Here, write this down. Courage is not found in my inability to overcome my fears, but rather courage is found in God's ability to be with me despite my fears. I'll say it again. Courage is not found in my ability to overcome my fears, but rather courage is found in God's ability to be with me despite my fears. It's why David said I can, be, I can stand strong like a mountain. My God will, there is joy in the morning. My God will help me prevail. Not he might, I know he will. It might not be the way I think, but his will will be done in my life. Charles Spurgeon once said, I have a great need for Christ. I have a great Christ for my need. I have a great need for Jesus, but I have a great Christ for my need. You know, thinking back to Joshua in chapter 8, the very next city is taken, the city of Ai. 
And this, I, I had to share this part of the story with you to kind of finish up Joshua. Because the very next city, when they actually take Ai, I want you to read chapter 8 with me, chapter 8, verses 1. And I want to show you what God does in the very next city. This is after Achan is taken care of, his family's taken, the sin has been dealt with. Check this out. Chapter 8, verse 1 says, Take the whole, God is talking to Joshua. He's giving him orders. And he says, Take the whole army force with you and go attack Ai again. Look, I have, he's telling him, I have handed over to you the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. He says, treat Ai and its king as you did Jericho and its king. But listen to this, listen. He says, you may plunder its spoil and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. Think about this. Isn't this ironic? Isn't this sad? Like, had Achan had courage to trust God in the middle, to have courage to stand like a mountain in the middle, had Achan only waited on God, if he had just waited on God, God was going to give him what he thought he needed. If he had just waited. But Achan said, I got to have it now. I got to get out of it now. I got to get out of this problem now. I got to take care of myself now. And God, listen, God was going to give him <laughs> everything he needed. If he had just waited. Had Achan only had the more courage to wait on God, more courage to depend on God's ways instead of doing it in his ways, Achan would have received the blessing that God had for him the very next city. So here's a question. How often do we miss God's best for our lives by taking for ourselves what we think is best in our lives or selling for what is good in our own eyes or, make, or what makes sense in our own experience or not waiting on God and taking things in our own hands when we're faced with a tough situation, how many times do we cry out to God first versus trying to fix ourselves first, our problems first? David says, I cried out. David's strategy to get through his struggle was crying out to God. Achan's was fixing it for himself. David was, I cried out and you met me. Billy Graham once said, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement, he said. I have to go to God in prayer and tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, courage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord all your heart and do not what? Lean on your understanding. It doesn't say you shouldn't plan it doesn't say you shouldn't think about what's for it. It says you shouldn't lean on it. Don't lean on yourself. Don't lean on your own understanding. And I love this, verse 6. Think about who? Think about who? Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you the right path. I want to give you three ways, and I'm done this morning. Three ways in which we think of God in the midst, the middle of our struggle. Believing that, that God will turn my sadness into gladness, that God will turn my, my, my sorrow into joy. Believing that I will be dancing, that I can strung strong like a mountain in the middle of, of my struggle, that God can give me courage. There's three ways in which I think God will give you courage in the middle. Based on Proverbs 6, chapter 3, 5, and 6. Think about Him. How, do we think of, how should we think about God in the midst of our struggles? Number one is this. Think about God's grace. 
when you find yourself in the middle of a struggle, when you find yourself in the middle, think about God's grace. After Israel had repented in Joshua 7, God leads them back to Ai. But the difference this time was they could get the riches that God had for them. So in other words, even though Israel had messed up, God's response to Israel's abuse of his blessing and grace was not more condemnation. You know what it was? More grace. It was more mercy. Like God's, listen, God loves to shower his kids with mercy and grace. God loves to give good gifts to his people. It's like the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament. The son takes everything that the father wants to give him. He goes and squandles it away, ruins his life. When he has nothing left, he runs back to the father, and the father doesn't condemn him. What's the father do? Throws him a a welcome home party. Crazy. Crazy love. Grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. In Joshua 8, God did, doesn't, God doesn't keep punishing his kids. God increases his generosity to the repentant kid Israel, giving them the very thing they were seeking when they resorted to disobedience in the first place. In fact, God's wrath, listen, hear me when it says, think of God's grace. God's wrath has no place for the Christian. God doesn't punish his kids. When when we repent of our sin, turn to God, place Jesus as our King, Lord, and Savior, God counts Jesus as sacrifice and his payment for us, and we get God's righteousness. Bradley sang about that earlier. We led us in that great song. God, God, we, we get God's righteousness. It's the gospel. God puts his wrath on the person of Jesus and paid our penalty for our sin that God looks on us. He looks on us as a child. But does God discipline? Sure he does. But he doesn't discipline to punish he disciplines to guide and to free us from us. <laughs> That's a beautiful blessing. Amen? The way that I can stand strong like a mountain and give courage in the midst of my struggle is that God has grace upon grace. Is God ever going to give up on me? No. Does God discipline us as children? Yes, but not for punishment. To guide us. To help us. As a good father does, someone once said, grace laughs in Satan's face, grace overcomes fear, grace breeds courage in the middle like a mountain, because if God who will never leave you nor forsake you, you didn't do anything to earn God and you can't do anything to lose God. Come on. Isn't that amazing? Come on. Isn't that amazing? I don't know what John does. Man, if I'm telling you, if I'm preaching, you got to talk. That is amazing. Grace upon grace upon grace. We should never, listen, we should never exhaust the goodness of that. Like, you can't exhaust the goodness of that. Number two, I want you to not only think about his grace wherever you're at. I want you to think about his promises for you. Warren Wiersbe says, the remedy for discouragement is the word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with its truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. Jesus promises this word, I will always be with you. Romans 8, 28 is a promise for the Christian that there's nothing that comes in your life that doesn't pass through a sovereign hand of God who is for you and loves you. Those are promises. Do you trust him? Do you trust him where you're at? Do you trust that there is joy in the morning? Are you, are you struggling today? Do you believe that God can turn it into dancing? 
Trust his promises for you. Number three, I want you to think about his power. The Lord over all circumstances, amen? Listen, you don't get, listen, you don't get courage from looking deep within yourself. Courage comes from experiencing God in the middle. When God shows up and unleashes his power when you cry out to him. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. I'm almost done. He says, we are, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. This is so good. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that, there it is again. Why do we do it? Like, why do we struggle? Why do we walk this life? So that the life of Jesus may be also be revealed in our body. You know what that tells me? It tells me that we all will experience struggles in our life. The Christian life is not, listen, the easy believism Christian life that many want to believe is a lie. It's not the fact, listen, it's, it's not the fact that your struggles will be gone when you come to know Jesus. It's that Jesus will meet you in the middle of your struggle. It's that you can overcome. I've often told people that the real sign, I believe, of a Christian is not the one who can avoid struggle or betrayal or hurt. It's the one who can have joy despite it. You want a great book? Y'all like books around here. Y'all been talking about a lot of books. Let me give you a great book. There's a great book called um, uh, The Calvary Road. The Calvary Road. And in this book, it talks about this. People say, I want to follow Jesus. Do you really? Do you know what the life of Jesus is? A life of betrayal? A life of crucifixion? A life of struggle? But yet, your will be done. But yet, I will have joy. But yet, I believe there will be joy in the morning. But yet, no matter what happens to me, I believe that everything, Romans eight twenty eight come into my life for a reason. Because God has a great plan for his kingdom and using my life for my good. <laughs> That's the Christian life. And so it says, we're pressured in every way, we're crushed, we're perplexed, <laughs> we're persecuted, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed because we always carry the death of Jesus in our body. Why? So that Jesus can be revealed through our life. Charles Spurgeon once said, I would go to the depths of a hundred, I would go to the deeps a hundred times to cheer a downcast spirit. It is good for me to have been afflicted that I might know how to speak a word and season to the one that is weary. I think David would say that. He'd say, It's good that I struggled the way I struggled so that I could write Psalm 30. Because I can tell you that joy will come in the morning because I've experienced it. I know it to be true. And he said you can stand strong in the mountain if you cry out to God and God will give you courage to believe that this will not last. And that God is doing this in your life. Listen, not even just for your life, but so that you can also speak of him through your life and your own experience of following him. God always has a purpose because the Lord is in the middle. So how do you have courage to stand like a strong mountain like David? Think about God's grace. Think about who you are in God's eyes. Think about his promises for you. There's nothing comes in your life that didn't pass through a sovereign hand of God that's loving you for you. And think about God's power. 
Think about his power. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. God's got the power. Have courage. Don't be discouraged. For God is with you in the middle. And I love, I'll end with this. David says in verse 5, Psalm 30, Weeping may spend the night. It may be longer than you want. I can't promise you. I can't promise you of knowing when it will end for you. I can promise you that he'll meet you in the middle of it. And I also can promise you that it may spend time for a night. But I promise there will be joy in the morning. God will find you, take you through, give you courage to stand strong. And one day, you know what the life of the Christian is, right? One day we'll see Jesus face to face, so you know what that means? One day, when we stand before, before God himself, we worship and praise Jesus forever. It means our best days are ahead. Julie will come. Amen? Such a good word. Such an encouraging word. And uh, I hope you're encouraged this morning. Would you pray with me? Bradley, just want to come on up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for, God, the fact that David could write such a strong psalm. Lord, um, the belief that there is joy that will come in the morning. Lord, I, I thank you that we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that you look upon us righteous because of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, um, God, that you do have the power. Lord, that you do have the power for us to overcome. But Lord, I thank you that you allow us to be in the middle of the storms of our lives so that we can know you better. So that, Lord, we can sing praises to you. Thank you that you are teaching us and growing us and we're becoming less of us and more of you. And Lord, that's the ultimate goal and we thank you for that. We thank you for your faithfulness. It never changes. Always faithful to meet us when we cry out. And so God, I pray that over the people here this morning. God, I'm assured that there's somebody in the room this morning that is in a, a situation that they don't want to be in. I pray you give them hope, God, this morning. That they'd walk out of here this morning with the banner of joy comes in the morning. And Lord, I don't know how long that will be but I pray you'd meet them in the middle when they cry out to you. God, help them to, to keep crying out to you, to not try to fix it on their own, but to keep seeking you and crying out to you and you meeting them where they're at. Help them to believe in Romans eight twenty eight your promises, God, that even in this, you're a God who is faithful. And even in this, Lord, you can use all this in their life and other people's lives for your glory and their good. Help them to believe that. Give them faith, God. Faith is such a gift, God. We need more faith. Give them faith to believe that, to stand strong like a mountain, like David says. God, would you bless them today? I believe it's a word for many of us, but for specifically, God, for the people that, that you're speaking to right now. And God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, they're walking in this stormy life without a shepherd who wants to walk with them through the valley, what feels like the shadow of death, Lord, would you help them see that without you, knowing you, walking with you, having a relationship with you, God, there will not be gladness. There will not be courage. They will come to the end of themselves. God, and when they do, God, would you help them turn to you and ask you to be their king, lord, and savior and turn their life over to you and repent that they've tried to be their own savior. That they would turn to you as their savior. If, they're there, if you're here this morning, God, somebody like that,
I pray that you come talk to, to Ryan, Pastor Ryan, or any myself or anyone here this morning would love to talk with them about following Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time of response. We're going to respond to your word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.